Laura from Clear Eyes Social Book Blog again. I am Laura and Sarah. And we are so thrilled for a second time. Repeat performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to introduce uh, someone who within the past year has vaulted to the top of our must-buy book list. And this is Amy Spaulding, author of the Reese Malcolm list and the upcoming Ink is Thicker Than Water, which I just read and I love. So, yay! Welcome, Amy. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back, letting me talk some more. It's great. I'm excited. I, yeah, because I know you're, you're kind of shy and you don't really like to talk a lot, so... Yeah, I'm I mean, We've really landed, like, the reclusive Amy Spaulding... I feel like I always feel like such a jerk before events when people are like, oh, are you nervous about being on a stage? And I'm like, where's the stage? Like, show me the stage. Where are my people? Awful. I'm awful. But that's a really good skill to have, I though. I think so, too. I mean, I wish I was a little more comfortable in that way. So You know what's funny, though? Like, I'm a real introvert. Like, I really, like, mm-hmm. I'm definitely on that end of the spectrum. But I did. People are surprised about that. People are surprised by that. And I did, um, in high school, I did speech and debate team for some crazy reason, I think, because I thought it would be good for, like, my college crap. And as a result, like, I have no problem with public speaking at all. And it's, it's like one of those things, like, people think, are you going to be, you know, are you okay? Are you prepared? Are you ready? I'm like, ah, whatever. Just people. It's a totally, (laughs) I think it's completely different. I think being comfortable on on stage is a lot about just practice and doing it a lot and, you know, developing certain skills that make you comfortable when you're there. Well, and and, I, go ahead. And not all, you know, I, I mean, that came up a lot. I have to say when I was, when my agent was submitting uh, Reese Malcolm list to different publishers, how often we got rejections that said, I don't buy a shy character who's an actor. And I thought, how many actors have you met? Because I know a lot, and a lot of them in real life are very quiet and shy. And, like, yeah. like kind of awkward. Yeah. And I think it almost is, like, almost a different – because it's like you're playing a role. It's like you right. get to – because I sort of – whenever – like, whenever I sometimes do talks to groups and stuff, and it's like I sort of am, like, I'm putting on my – I don't know, like my your outfit. Your yeah, it's like speaking it's almost kind of like acting in a sense. Like it's it's different. I don't know. It's like a like a force field of I don't know performance or something. I I completely agree. It's interesting. I would rather be on a stage than sometimes just interacting with people. Well, that's yeah. stressful interacting with people. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Like the sort of like like cocktail party mixer environment is like the worst. Like that is to me nightmare scenario. (laughs) I would much rather be giving like a presentation to a couple hundred people than be at like a cocktail mixer. I mean, I'm fine with both, but I'm pretty much like I'm like the opposite of you, where what I am on stage is what I am. So. If you like the Amy show on stage, you will love her standing a foot and a half from you being the exact same person. <laughs> oh, anyway, <laughs> sorry for that little detour, folks. Yeah, yeah, should we talk about books, guys? Yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that- <laughs> and I, I, I got to read Ink a little while ago, and I really loved it, too, which I already told you. But, Thanks, guys. Um, I really, That's it's, lovely to hear. I, you know, I just found so much that was... I mean, even though a lot of the experiences were very different from my own, like, I just found it very real. Yeah, and I feel like I could really identify with 
what all the different characters were going through, not just the narrator. Um, which, you know, I could kind of, like, even though, like, there were times where I was like, grr, how dare they treat Kelly this way, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I could kind of understand where they were coming from at the same time, and I think that's a, a, a rare ability on the part of an author to make, like, all the supporting characters kind of, like, fleshed out and relatable in that way also. Yeah, or- and I had the same experience with Reese as yeah. well. Like, I had so, I had, I had a lot of feelings, particularly about the adult characters in that book, and mm-hmm. which sort of brings us to well. the topic at hand, because yes. we didn't introduce it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but, I was so excited about introducing Amy that I didn't mention the topic. <laughs> and, and I just wanted to talk, so I was like, time yeah, for- give me the mic. <laughs> talk about is um and it's a topic we've we've discussed before um is reading and writing family and the way that sort of um i mean i feel like you've amy become a bit of a specialist in writing really rich and real families and right thank you and it's i agree it it really do and it's something that um i don't i mean i sort of think of it, it is in YA, it's there's oftentimes an absence of family, but I actually think it extends in many ways to, you know, all sorts of categories. Right, um, and I think family is a really easy way. Um, I think a lot of authors manufacture conflict with families when it's not necessary. Like, I think, especially if you're a teen and you're growing up, yeah, like, like, there is conflict. Your family's annoying anyway. Plenty, <laughs> and I really feel like um, in Ink... Um, you really played on the natural conflicts that would exist. And it, it's a really relatable book, I think, for anyone, really. So, like, not just so much. So, I mean, Amy, if you wouldn't mind, can you give us, because I know Laura and I have been lucky enough to read early copies of Ink, but I know by the time we publish this, there'll be a lot of people who have not gotten to do that yet. Yeah. So, um, do you mind giving us a little, little synopsis of what, in your words, what you were trying to do with ink and, and sure, I'll family. say what it's about, and I'll say what I was trying to do, and hopefully, right. it's the same thing. <laughs> uh, ink is about Kelly Brooks, who has always just been someone who kind of, you know, just goes along with life. She's pretty content. She, you know, mostly loves her family, has a normal conflicts. Um, do, you know, doesn't try too hard in school. Does doesn't want to stand out. Just wants to, you know, kind of get through and have fun, and. Ink is about kind of the moment in life where things start shifting for her, where she starts thinking about, maybe I do want more in life. Maybe, you know, being 16, it's time to start thinking about what's next for me. And on top of that, things with her family are changing. Uh, things with her, sorry, my neighbors are being really loud. If you can hear that, I'm so sorry. Well, my um, dog is trying to climb on my lap or Laura's lap. She can't decide. So yeah, she'll <laughs> take either one if she can get a lap. <laughs> um, you know, things with her friends are starting to shift and maybe she's, you know, finding new people she would like to be friends with. And then, of course, you know, a boy comes into the picture and that, you know, throws a lot for a loop, too. And so it's just about, you know, I think a lot of us have a few a few periods in life and every, you know, every few years, I know I feel suddenly everything seems to be kind of shifting at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like sort of everything's shift. tilted a little bit or yeah. something. Exactly. And then you have to kind of go through this, well, am I also changing? How am I going to figure out where I belong? How do I fit into this, you know, slightly different world? And 
that was real, you know, it's really just about that time in life. And it kind of, the thing that sets off motion is Kelly's older sister was adopted and she gets back in touch with her biological mother and that kind of throws the rest of the family for a loop. So that's, that's kind of the plot in a large nutshell. Uh, what I was trying to do though, I'm sorry, now my dog is a squeaky toy. This is just clearly. We don't, we don't judge. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> she like, barely plays with a squeaky toy unless I'm on the phone. I don't know how she knows. She's very smart. Uh, um, that's part of the, actually the dog um, constitution that it yeah. says you shall, when your owner is on the phone, you will do something obnoxious in order to disrupt <laughs> said conversation. Yeah, she was completely asleep when this call started, and now she is running around looking at all her toys. She's <laughs> So the, the thing um, I was reading, I was reading a lot when I started working on ink. It was definitely one of those times where I was doing more, you know, consuming than creating. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I kind of kept noticing was, you know, books are about like a big thing happening to someone and then their life totally changed and they were, you know, they had to go on some kind of journey. And also there was always some intense boy who would very quickly fall in love with you and it would be, you would just love it. And I kept thinking, well, the two things that in my life and a lot of my friends' life that I felt like differed from that were a lot of times the big things weren't happening to us. They were happening all around us. And yet we had to kind of, they'd still affect us mm-hmm. and, and shift things within our own life. And so I thought I wanted to kind of explore what, what if everyone else's kind of shifting and then you're having to kind of, you're dealing with it. And how it affects you. And I thought, I thought that was something you didn't always see. And the other thing was, I was like, what's, what about writing an intense boy and how I would actually feel if someone fell in love with me that quickly, which would be flattered and exciting, but also freaky. Yeah. <laughs> a little overwhelming. Like I'd be like, whoa, there breaks, breaks, you know? And how that doesn't mean they're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're in a bad situation per se, but that it's, you know, it's not always just a hundred percent fun or mutual. So I, you know, those are kind of the things that I wanted to explore. Like what, what happens when that's how it goes for you? Well, I really enjoyed about ink, which I just finished this morning. <laughs> so Laura's MO is like just in time reading, I would say. Hey, it works for me. Because this yeah. is how she does. I swear she waits until the morning of book club to read the book club book. Not on purpose. I think it's on purpose. It is not. <laughs> She's totally grinning, you know it is. <laughs> well, anyway, so with this book, I thought I really appreciated how she was a very unsure character um in what she was going through because I think that I mean even now I'm 33 I'm old I'm still really unsure about things you know like I don't have life figured out you know you know I'm sometimes I'm not sure how to deal with a certain social or professional situation or things like that um, yeah and it's, I, I, I like appreciated things. like how you really got into her struggle over like well what what should my reaction be to this? Is this right or am I right? How am I supposed wrong? to feel about this? Yeah. Like, like, or I feel a certain way, but am I right to feel this way? And like, I really think that's something that people will understand when they read this book. Well, and there's, oops, sorry, Amy. Oh, I was going to say, I was saying thank you, but also I'm, I'm glad you guys felt that way because 
one thing that comes up a lot when people ask, like, how do you write either? How do you write as a teenager or how do you, you know, incorporate adults in your books? And I think one of the things that, that doesn't even occur to me that that would either would be challenging is I don't think people are actually that different. And I think a lot of what we go through are diff- just different versions of the same kinds of problems. And of course, when you're a teenager, everything is very dramatic and everything's a first and it is different, obviously. But as an adult, like you said, I still have times where I don't know how should I react to this or I react and I think, Oh, am I being weird? Or is the situation weird? I don't know. And so you know, I thought it was natural for a character to be going through a lot of first and not not know how she should feel. It, there's an interest. There's a moment I just loved in Ink where um, Kelly gets a an inner a relationship status request on Facebook <laughs> from the boy. Yeah, <laughs> and like she it does like this epic. It's thing. like this angst over. And that's like that's a real thing. Like it that really is, is that's that's a big deal. And like I don't care if you're 16 or if you're 30. Like that. Like well, what oh, if I, I don't. Totally, I totally watched yeah, adults. Like sometimes. Like what if I don't feel like we're in, in a relationship? Yeah. Like what if I think we're just talking? Like or what if we are, but I don't want to broadcast it to yeah, everyone? Because I'm not really ready to tell. Like. Like, because there's stuff that goes along with making that, like, there's so much, and, like, I love that, that little arc that's in Mm -hmm. Ink, because it so typifies, like, that I don't know how to handle this, and, like, that's not something that changes, like, this sort of, you know, where, you know, I, I loved that, that was just. And it's not, and it's not just that you don't know how to handle it, but it's like, should you even do anything about it in a way? You're just like, should I talk to this person? What do I say when I talk to this person? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or sometimes, and I think for me, I'm one of those people where it's easy for me to just be like, I'm just going to ignore it. And I kind of retreat into my little shell and then I like stop communicating with the world. You know what I mean? And I'm one of those people because like I get kind of frozen when I just don't know how to handle something. Like, when I accidentally published something on the blog last week that I wasn't <laughs> and I, like, didn't know how to fix it, and I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> okay, sorry, my dog is going crazy now. Um, yeah, that was actually pretty funny. I know. But, like, one of the most controversial things I've written on the blog, Laura accidentally published. It was an accident. Before it was done. <laughs> But anyways, one of the things also that I really liked how you handled with the adults in Ink was how her parents, how they weren't perfect, but neither of them was the bad guy, even though they were divorced. Um, I feel like so much in YA is that, like, there's sides being taken in that kind of situation where, and I think, I thought it was really, really great how both of the parents wanted what was best for their kids, but that didn't necessarily meant they agreed on what the best thing was. And I hadn't really seen that in a book before. So, and it was really well done on your part. Thanks. Uh, yeah, all I, 
All I remember from growing up is that for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, you know, people got along with their parents most of the time. Not always. Of course, there are people who had annoying parents or parents who were strict or, you know, divorced parents where maybe one was really not in the picture. But I knew just so many kids whose parents weren't, you know, weren't a huge part of their day-to-day drama. And... I think the way you often see parents in YA Lit are they're like roadblocks. Uh, it's the whole, oh, I can't get a job because my mom doesn't like it. I can't date this boy because my dad won't let me. You know, I can't, right, I can't right. date this club because my parents think it's a waste of time. And I just, for the most part, didn't see tons of that growing up. And I don't right. know if that's my group, but even now as an adult, when, you know, we talk, we talk about high school and how things were. I don't think a lot of us felt that way. And so, you know, I'm not trying to make some big statement. It's just that I tend to kind of reflect, you know, a general reality that I know. Mm-hmm. But- and, and for me, it's, it's that parents are trying their best. They're not always right. They're just humans. And it's also that at this point when I'm writing, you know, I'm in my mid thirties I mean, the characters closest to my age are the parents. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't... That's so disturbing. I know. Thanks, I'm very bothered by that. That's, that's like your daily, you're old. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Reese Malcolm in the Reese Malcolm list is younger than me because she was really young when she had Devin. Right. So <laughs> that's, I mean, there's that. That was weird to think about and actually really helped me write it because, you know... Anytime you want to write a scene where you're trying to convey that someone is really young for being a parent and really unprepared, all I have to do is remind myself, she's younger than you. What if you had a 16-year-old up there? It's like, oh, God, yeah, that's awful. I, Yeah, all right. So I think a lot of times it's also just kind of nice for me to include, you know, pieces of worlds that are maybe a little closer to my day-to-day right. by, by writing about the parents. Yeah, and that definitely as shows. a kid. I loved reading about parents. I loved knowing what, in books. Like, I wanted to know what adults were up to and what their lives were like. Because they were adults. They could do whatever they wanted. It seemed very, you know, right. very grown up and sophisticated. Right. And so much, I think, in YA, parents are, if they're married, or sometimes even if they're divorced, but they're kind of presented as, like, a unit where you don't yeah. really have a chance to see them as individuals. And I think um, in... Um, in ink in particular, you really, all the parents in the situation were like an individual thing and with their own issues and things like that. So, yeah, it's really funny because when I wrote, um, kissing Ted Callahan and it's, you know, it's a romance and I, it was the first time I realized why people don't write about parents because I'm like, they're really you're just writing a typical, making the structure of, you know, a form that's actually usually built for adults. Mm-hmm. And you have to have their day-to-day life with their parents in there. And it is kind of, oh, this is a hassle. I need them to not have parents because how do they go out so much? How do they do all these things? <laughs> and it was, it was really kind of the moment where I realized why that happens so much. And so I still, I really made a concerted effort that even if you see less of them on the page, that they're still fully formed and you get what they're about. I'm sorry. Now my dog has decided to be a brat. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about well, that. Well, and I think it's really, 
a good thing um, for... Oh my god. Yeah, she's fine. She's just mad because she's not the center of attention. <laughs> um, I think it's really good for teens to read books where they see that adults... Um, where adults do have their own lives and concerns instead of just being like mom... And then instead you see them as somebody with their own interest and their own individuality. And that's something teens are kind of learning themselves as they're getting older. Yeah, Um, I feel like your teenage years are when you're kind of just, you're discovering, oh, wait, my parents are, like, humans. Awesome. Yeah. And it's a really strange thing when it starts hitting you that, you know, they have lives that have nothing to do with you in some ways. Yeah. They have, you know, they have their own dreams and goals. Maybe they're living them. Maybe they're not. And they have their own relationships with, you know, you know, maybe each other or, if, you know, they're remarried with those people, you know, with their friends, with their coworkers, their bosses. And when it starts hitting you that, oh, this whole inner world I have, my parents also have this, it can be a really strange realization. Yeah, and you see that a lot in Ink, like just from the family business mm-hmm. to the way um, Kelly's parents have to sort of navigate her sister who's adopted developing a relationship with her birth mother and Mm -hmm. which we haven't even talked about that yeah but that's a there's you know there's a lot of adoption stories out there in YA and but I thought that you took a really interesting angle on it with um telling that story from the point of view of the sister and Uh the way the family is changing and how weird that is as the sibling of the person who's forcing that change but yeah a lot of people wanted you know wanted to know why i didn't just like basically why isn't this sarah's book the sister isn't this about her meeting her biological mother and to me that's because that book exists already there's a there's there are a lot of books like that and they're great and even to some extent reese malcolm list is a bit like that like meeting your long-lost mom Mm -hmm. and it's a different situation but i still think it has a lot of those same themes Mm -hmm. and I thought it was, I don't want to say more interesting, but what wasn't readily available was a book about how, again, how it felt to have that happen to someone you knew. What does that mean for your family? What does that mean for you? Where do you fit in? And if someone else is reexamining their notion of family and that's your sister, don't you inherently also have to reexamine your own? Yeah. And I, you know, as someone who's like, doesn't have any siblings, like I, I find stories that have like, siblings is an important role player. Like, they often, I'm just like, I don't really get it. But, but with that said, in this, in this story, like, I got it. And it was really interesting to me. Like, as someone who has no siblings. Well, and I could really relate to the situation in some ways, because when I was 11, my family moved. Uh, We moved from into Buffalo and we lived an hour away but the thing was was that my brother was going into his senior year of high school and he had already been declared valedictorian by like the middle of his junior year <laughs> like it was and he did not want to go to a different high school for anyone to like no, beat him no my god and so <laughs> he my parents, I, I know my parents <laughs> left him um, with the Guardian, and he didn't move with us to Buffalo, and my brother and I had been very close, even though he's six years older than me, we were very close, and that was really hard for me, to not have my brother there, and to be going through such a big change without him, 
Um, so that, so ink really stirred up a lot of my feelings in that way where you see like, and, and it's just inevitable when you have an older sibling, cause my brother was going to go to college in a year anyways. Uh, but to have, but to see somebody that means so much to you moving away from you. Um, yeah, I don't, I like tearing up right now just thinking about <laughs> it because it was, I could really relate to that as it was going on. It was really hard for me to write, actually, because I do have a brother, but we're, you know, we see each other just once a year at Christmas. We're not close at all. Mm -hmm. And I initially, when I wrote the story, Kelly and Sarah really, they didn't like each other. They only hang out, hung out if they were forced to. It would always, you know, it would always be kind of a treat for Kelly if Sarah would ever let her in in any way. And my editor said, wouldn't it be more interesting if they got along? And I said, yes you're right. Absolutely. And then, you know, when there's a pulling away, it feels like a bigger deal. Of course, that's the right thing to do. And then once I started working on it, I literally didn't understand how to write siblings that liked each other and wanted to hang out on purpose. (laughs) And I was so thrown and I just, you know, I would sit for days just staring at scenes, trying to change them and not even know what to do. And luckily, um, I was on vacation earlier this year and had coffee with someone and she, she had said something about being very close to her sisters. And I said, Oh God, I, I wish I knew what that was like. I'm writing this book and I'm thrown. And she said, we've got best friends, right? Just write it like that. Stop thinking about sisters. And I did. And that was the only way I got through it. It was so hard for me. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting observation mm-hmm. because in, in a lot of ways she's going through kind of the grief of losing a close friend. Right. You know, in the form of her sister, but then it's also reflected in the way her friendships are changing as well. Like that's a hard right. thing that she's going right. through. And that's, I didn't, I didn't catch those parallels until just now. Nice job. Amy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thank God I talked to somebody about, thank God I just admitted I was having trouble because yeah. I was, I was really floundering for a bit. And the funny thing is, you know, obviously I hadn't initially intended that parallel and then it worked out so nicely when I'd made them closer because it just, they both, I felt like it worked better in tandem that way. Yeah. So another thing I really liked too, though, that you did as far as the family and how Kelly was fitting into things and into going in new directions in her life was because I think teenagers by and large are selfish people and they don't, they don't necessarily understand how what they're doing affects other people. They just see how everything is affecting them. It's all about them. Um, and I really love how you explored, um, how much Kelly was realizing how little things can have the ripple effects on other people, like what was going on with his sister wasn't just affecting her sister. It was affecting, like, Kelly and their little brother that, you know, the teenagers are kind of learning how even the little things they do affect other people, that it's not just about them, that these things they do have a ripple effect, like if you don't pick up the brother from daycare or something like that. And so when Sarah you know, it starts going through this thing in her life and, you know, she is not there to meet her schedule the way that she used to. Like, that has a big effect on the whole family. And so I thought it was really awesome how you explored that aspect of, like, when you're a teenager and you're growing up and you start, like, learning that your behavior does affect other people and not just you. 
Yeah, I think I know I was definitely a really selfish teenager and, you know, would place we any of, yeah, I mean, I think it's so, I, I absolutely agree. It's so common. And when I think back on how I would frame friends issues in terms of how it would affect me, it's, <laughs> it's really, I mean, that, it's, you know, now you have regret. You're like, oh, I was kind of a jerk. But I think the funny thing is a lot of times, like as an adult, I'll still have that knee jerk reaction, but now I know it's inappropriate. Like it's not like how I I feel isn't necessarily any different. It's more, well, I'm not going to react off of that. I'm not going to think, oh, well, you did something that makes me feel shitty, even though it had nothing to do with me. I'm going to call you out on it. Whereas when you're 16, of course you will. Yeah. You know, the other thing about, you know, people taking responsibility and how actions affect others. I also, I just felt like their family was one where the parents wanted them to to grasp that, even if maybe, you know, when you're a teenager, it takes some time. I, you know, I really like the thought of the family kind of working in this really unified way. Cause of course then it's more upsetting when it's not. And I really liked how uh, Kelly loved her family, you know, and I, I think that some, in some ways is unusual for YA also. Um, so I thought it was a really refreshing take on how to deal with family because, <laughs> So often, the family is set up, like you were saying earlier, as roadblocks or as antagonists to, like, what the main character is trying to do in the book or where they're trying to get to. And in this case, it didn't have to be that way, where the family was, instead of being an antagonist, was more of a catalyst uh, to the character's happiness. So, Have you guys read Melissa Walker's Unbreak My Heart? Yes. Yeah. She, like, that book also has, like, that family, they love each other. Yes. And, I mean, they really do. And, like, to, to the point where it's, you know, sometimes really annoying. Yeah. that's, like, no, I mean, like, because, like, it's sort of annoying if, like, your parents, like, together time is awesome. Yeah, and they're on a sailboat together. Like, but I just want to sit around and mope because I'm going through this crap. <laughs> you know? She's just like, I want but, to read the book. Why won't my parents let me sit and read? They're supposed to encourage this sort of behavior. Yeah. You know? But, I, I mean, like, that was when we were talking about this particular topic. Like, that was one of... When a book that really that popped into my head initially was because she does that really nicely mm-hmm. in that book as well, where there's this family that really loves each other and they're gonna care about each other and they want to help each other and help each other get through like crap, you know, and even the little sister, and it's uh, and like it's I it's interesting how that dynamic impacts the main character whose name I've just pr- completely spaced. Me um, too, but Clementine. Yes. Um, it also reminded me not that I was ever trapped on a boat with my family, but my parents owned a restaurant when I was in high school. Uh, uh-huh. So I mean, there were a lot of times where all I, you know, all I did was get up, go to school, and then go to the restaurant, and then work there until close, and then right. I drive my parents. And it's that same kind of feeling of I can't really get away. And if I was having friend drama or anything, you know, being upset with grades or, you know, worried about anything, I couldn't take that away because I had to work next to them. So I really related to the idea of, you know, sometimes your family, like, literally can trap you. And if you're still dealing with your own issues, it's not that they go away because you're around your parents now. You're still stressed about the same things. Yeah, my husband's yeah. family owned a restaurant when he was growing up, and he has many stories of um, feeling like they it never, like, 
ended. Like, just, like, they were around all the time. And yeah. And they were also, then, they were my bosses and my uh, parents. Yeah, it's so really... You know, and you just, they're just like, uh, and this, in the book, Kelly wants to work in the family business, uh, but her, she's not, her mom doesn't want her to, but then when her mom needs somebody, she is expected to be there to help out with this. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think that's very common in family businesses where like, oh, someone called in, you need to come here after school, you owe it to your family, and I don't care what else you have going on, work it out and be here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, teenagers don't really understand that. Like, they don't understand the economics of it or whatever. All they hear when you say that to them is, my social life is getting fucked up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've heard, oh, I'm going to get some money. So, actually, sometimes it was fine. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's really common for teenagers to be like, oh, I'll work when I want to to get the money that I want. But, like, if you're called upon in a time of need when you have a date or something yeah. really big and going on, a- then, then it's a problem. So. <laughs> well, and the thing is, you couldn't lie because of your parents. Not that, I mean, not that you don't want to lie to your parents. It's just more that you could, if you haven't, like, now, I mean, I don't lie at work. I am an adult, and I can just, if I want to take a day off, I can. <laughs> And your boss is your parent. If you just want to go out with your friends, you can call in and say you're sick, but you can't do that to your parents because then they know, or they would be like, great, then go home. So it's, you know, there, there are all these additional layers of weirdness when your boss is also your mom. Yeah, I, and it's and Laura and I were talking before this how unusual it is to see a family business so like richly portrayed in a. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I think that's actually such an important part of who that family is is that like that business is so informs so much of like what we know about those parents right. and it's. And it's not something you see a whole lot. I mean, not to just sort of like keep telling you how awesome you are, Amy. But I mean, you know, I, I knew my family didn't own a business because my mom was a teacher, but I knew a lot of people who had like, family farms or they owned a, you know, business in town or what have you. And like that, so much of that family business is part of who people were when they were young. And that, that's a reality you don't see a whole lot portrayed in fiction and it's, you know, it's more of serves for, oftentimes it just sort of serves as this part of the setting as opposed to as part of the character. Right. Yeah, and also, I mean, I definitely drew from my parents having a family business, but I also, I think anyone who has a lot of tattoos and whose friends have tattoos has spent a lot of time in tattoo shops. And to me, there's such warm places a lot of times mm-hmm. because if you're spending hours getting something worked on and working with an artist on a design and then they're you know, literally putting it on your skin and working with your body in kind of this intimate way. I just think there's a lot of, you know, this weird bonding that happens. Mm-hmm. And I've had, in general, just wonderful experiences. And so I also really wanted to translate that feeling where... Yeah, I think they're so we, often portrayed at these seedy places. Yeah, exactly. And I just, in again, in general, have had nothing but the opposite experience. And, you know, there's a reason I go back to the same people and why, you know, you see an artist who worked on you and you give them a hug and you feel like you've, you know, really bonded in the time you spent together. And I mean, mainly interesting. And the tattoo thing mainly started in the book, though, because 
I wanted to have, I thought, well, I want the biological mom to be back in touch with Sarah. And I want, I want there to be for the biological mom, maybe this gut reaction of like, where did I send my daughter? (laughs) Because, you know, the parents are now divorced. And I just wanted some, I thought, okay, so let's put divorce in. Let's make that seem like, you know, that was a weird move. And let's make someone's job something that you typically wouldn't think of as what a good parent does. And I came up with tattoo artist and it all kind of just, I worked backwards from there to get to the whole, you know, to the whole business and the stepdad who also did it and how they met and all of that. And so it really, it didn't, it didn't start as, you know, building around a family business. It was more like, what's a profession that I think is great, but that to the average person maybe would come off as not appropriate. Right. Because this, when they, right. when the, um, adoption took place, the, the parents were sort of looked like this perfect, yeah, fa- like sort of perfect on paper family unit. Yeah, like and, upper middle class professional. Yeah, and it it's and I know people who've adopted children and like they there's so much like it's it's kind of interesting like there's so much that goes into portraying yourself as this sort of perfect family that someone's going to want to place their Yeah, you basically have to be more perfect than and, anybody actually is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really important to ensure that you appear that way. Um, even if you're a wonderful, happy family, I mean, every family has their issues and their mm-hmm. conflicts and, but it's, but and I, there are a lot of ways to be a family. So, yeah. and yet I feel like in the adoption process, there is one way to be a family and it's looking perfect at suburban. Yes, it really is. I mean, I, 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 you know, one of my friends from high school went through that and it's definitely like there's, there's that must look like this sort of family that only exists on TV thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think the idea of them, like, stripping away that, not just stripping it away as, like, a falseness, but that, like, at that time, that's really what they were. Right. But and, that doesn't mean we're static. And, right. And, what hap- and kind of what happens when that goes away. And it doesn't make... You know, obviously, it doesn't make you a worse family. In some ways, it makes you a better family because everyone is being as true to themselves as they can be and growing and changing. And I just, but I really, I like the idea of kind of, you know, throwing the wrench in there. Like, what does it seem like now? Yeah. And I really like Kelly's wistfulness kind of about her family. Like, she loves her family Mm -hmm. and she loves her dad and she loves her family situation, but there's still a wistfulness in her when she thinks about the past and. Uh, the divorce, you know, because I feel like divorce never gets easy for a child to deal with. Uh, so when she thinks about the circumstances of it and she thinks about how her mom was so happy to get out of that situation, but it wasn't a happy situation for Kelly. Um, right. And I really like how you portrayed that um as just kind of an is, as opposed to like, oh, her mom is so evil for wanting things for herself. That's not what it was. But like at the same time, just because her mom was happy didn't mean that Kelly was necessarily like over the moon about what her mom was going through, even though right. she kind of yeah. learned to accept it. And also that obviously everyone kind of has their own story and how things went and mm-hmm. the stories don't all match up, but that's, that's what life is like for right. sure. So we did want to talk a little bit about some other, um, Titles that sort of thematically fit with um, uh, the idea of really fully realized families. Mm-hmm. And you know, my favorite 
My favorite parents that I think really inspired me writing YA um, are Mia's parents and Princess Diaries. Because oh! <laughs> I had completely forgotten about them. Because they kind like they love her. They they tolerate when she's being insane, but when her insanity <laughs> starts actually like impede upon her own life. You know, they do things like make her go to therapy, make her leave her room, make her, you know, you know, set limits like, okay, you're allowed to be a little worried about this, but you can't let it take over your life. And I think that's such a perfect way to parent a teenager. Like, don't tell them their feelings are invalid, but also when they start being too crazy, like... like, Draw a line. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And just that her mom was so, you know, I think there is in one of the earlier titles... She asked her mom, like, well, you know, how old were you when she you lost your virginity, mom? And she's like, 15, but it's a country. There's nothing to do. And it was like, that was it. <laughs> and I love that so much because it told you so much about who her mom was, how, like, sex was thought about and talked about in the house. And also just <laughs> then Mia had to become a person who knew that about her mom and really didn't want yeah, to. Yeah, that's, that's the worst part, right? <laughs> And I just thought it it really, really inspired how I wrote Parents because it made me realize, oh, you can totally write Parents like people you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> they don't just have to be this, like, mom and dad figure. Right. And in that book, in those books, too, her parents were divorced but really worked as a unit to make sure she was parented. There was no sense of like, oh, well, because her dad doesn't live there full time. He doesn't love her as much. That was never the case, clearly. Um, one that I thought of when we were, when I was making my list, um, one of the first that came to mind was Vera's dad and Please Ignore Vera yes. Deets. Oh, God, what a great guy. The I best. Mean, that char- I mean, he's he has a point of view through flowcharts. Yeah. And which is just like, A.S. King is so brilliant. She's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> Her parents that she writes in general and are just fantastic and fully formed. I oh, I admire her so much. I just think she is one of those, you know, near flawless writers. Have you met her? I haven't. Oh, I, she is. If she you is get amazing. the chance, Laura and I met her last year. She is so smart. She's like, like sort of, it's almost overwhelming because she is so brilliant. Like she's just. Oh, trust me. I'm terrified so, to meet and she's I don't so even know kind. Like, she's a really kind person. Uh-huh. And it's, like, very, like, but she's just so, she's, like, freaky smart. And she's just really, like, one of the, like, you know, you could just, like, sit there and, like, draw information out of her brain forever if, <laughs> if you had the chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love in that book, all of her parents are really well done, but I love the dad in that book who's just trying to figure out how to be a parent to his daughter in the best way that he can. And it's hard. And it gives you so much insight into his and Vera's relationship and just those those pages just that they make that book for me in a lot of ways. Right. And remember how horrified we were when she was saying, she said that um, when she was first sending it out to publishers or when her agent was, um, some of the offers they got, were along the lines of, well, we like the book, but you'll have to take out the flowcharts. And for her, that was non-negotiable. And Sarah and I were just horrified. We, when we, we heard did that this like sort of ridiculous, dramatic gasp. I know, and she laughed at us. 
I have to say, if you went, I mean, I say this as an author who has seen my own rejections and seen some friends. If you went around and asked authors for their rejections, you would often find, you know, requests to please take out the thing that ended up making the book good. So, yeah. yeah. It's, love, it's, oh, sorry, go it's ahead. really strange how, you know, if you don't have the right editor or if they're trying to make it fit, fit a slot that it isn't really appropriate, it's, it's crazy the requests that can be made. Oh, I'm sure. Uh-huh. I also, the thing I love about that dad is despite that, you know, it's her POV, it's about him figuring out how to be the best dad to her as, you know, as possible, particularly during this, you know, really specific time in her life. But there's no sense ever that he doesn't also have this full life outside of her yeah, and a history uh-huh. and a past that sometimes has to do with him being her father, sometimes does not. It's just, I mean, it's so yeah, well done. He has, like, it's hopes and dreams amazing. and regrets and right. all those things that a person has. Like, he is not just Vera's dad. He's, exactly. He's, it, it's, and it's so interesting because he has relatively little page time. Right. But he really, like, he looms really large in that book. Right. And I really, I remember in particular when I first read that book, I should probably read it again, but because at first it's from only Vera's point of view and you don't realize that there's going to be these other things put in there. But I remember what I thought of her dad completely spinning mm-hmm. when I, I saw that thing. first flow chart. Um, and I, I thought it was so clever how she did that. I was like, oh! Yeah. <laughs> I really had this, like, light bulb sort of. Because I sort of thought the dad was kind of this yeah overbearing. Yeah, me too. And it just... I thought it was quite brilliant how she did yeah, that. Yeah, very sneaky. Yeah. In an awesome way. Yeah. Yes. But I also wanted to talk about, this isn't a book, but we talked about this with Robin Benway, mm-hmm. but My So-Called Life. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch that show, Amy? Obviously, I watched yeah. that show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, no, you're, you're the same age as me, and so, like, it, like I don't think there's anyone of, like, a certain age yeah. who ha- didn't watch that. But, exactly. Um, I really thought we were talking about that in the last podcast, about how fully realized the adult stories are in that mm-hmm. show. Yeah. And like, I didn't realize that Angela. when I watched it uh-huh. when the it first, first aired. But I, when I rewatched it, I was like, holy crap. This is one of the things they that did, makes that show hold up, though, in its second yeah, watching when you're an adult. They did some really... Because this was, like, at the time of 90210 and yeah. all that. And they did some really innovative stuff with the adults in yeah. that show that there aren't a lot of, I mean, Friday Night Lights is the same. Like yeah. The, you know, the, obviously that's not a teen show, but mm-hmm. in terms of the parent relationships are really yeah. rich. And, but there aren't a lot of shows that have, that have teenage characters that also have really rich adults. Yeah. Like a lot of times the adults are just supposed to be the parent. Like the adults don't have these concerns. Are, are there, what are these shows? Tell yeah. me, I want to watch them. There's Parenthood. Yes. Yeah, that well. Yeah, I mean, that's um, kind of... I mean, not as quite as much focus on the dad, but I think Carrie Diaries actually does a pretty I good job with that. I don't watch that show. Should I watch it? Yes. Because I just, hated Sex in the City with, like, a It has passion. nothing to do with Sex in the City at all. In fact, it it's almost a shame that that's how it, you know, that's clearly the whole point of it, and yet it's just a really good teen show. There's so many interesting things that are explored in that that I've not seen in teen shows before. Huh. Um, 
you know, to be set in the eighties and have a character struggling with his sexuality and what that means is such a, so interesting because during that actual time on TV, you couldn't have had that. You couldn't, you know, portrayed it honestly. And yet now when there's a gay teen, it's such a different, luckily in general, better situation. And, you know, of course there are also a lot of like Manhattan parties and Cosmos and, you know, fancy shoes, but it is a really, (laughs) I really recommend that show. If you like, you know, if you're like a contemporary YA reader, it is up your alley. I promise. Yeah, I just I have such an aversion because of my like intense visceral dislike for Sex in the City. <laughs> well, I love Sex in the City, but I like I love this too, and in very very different ways. So well, I watched one episode of it, and I got really annoyed because there's a contradiction um, in the Carrie okay. Diaries and with Sex in the City that really annoyed me because there was a scene in Sex in the City where Carrie talks about her dad abandoning the family and the Carrie Diaries. It's like the total opposite, and it's really Apparently, confusing. Apparently, from from what I understand, the actual. You know, Candace Bushnell is the one who wrote the Carrie Diaries, and right. her her idea of Carrie, that's exactly what the Carrie Diaries is, and it's the showrunners of Sex and the City who made the different choices. Uh, so, the, so the Carrie Diaries it, follows the book, whereas okay. Sex and the City So it, it's this weird thing where Sex and the City came out first, and yet is not the creator's intent as much as far as their background goes. Interesting, but, actually. Yeah, but, and then but they also, but they do a lot, I think, to try to reference Sex and the City, like the they, show in the Carrie Diaries, so it was yes. kind of like... It kind of threw me off to have, like, that disconnect in there, but maybe I should just try watching again and just throw that out the window. Yeah, I basically just try to forget that there's a connection because... Oh, trust me. And it's also that, you know, if these friends, these friends are all really important to her and they live very close to New York and there's no reason that like these would not be her at least like peripheral friends as an adult as well, or at least the people she'd see at holidays. Mm -hmm. So of course there's also that like, well, why isn't this character then on Sex in the City? Why is it this other person filling that role? But when I let myself separate that and just enjoy it for what it is, I think it's a really good teen show that's on right now. So that was my recommendation, especially I think, you know, if the kind of way I write, that's a little escapist, you know, Mm -hmm. probably a shopping scene, probably some stuff about, (laughs) you know, probably some, you know, yeah, Yeah. I mean, and the boys on that show have amazing hair. So I, it's so up my alley. So like, I know very important to you. (laughs) Yeah. It is definitely an Amy Spaulding type show. So yes, that's that's my recommendation. Um, parents I also like a lot in YA are uh, Ruby Oliver's parents. I was, and- yes, I was, I was just thinking well. about that just yesterday. Thinking about them they are, I think, two of the most fully realized parents. Yes. Are I totally was going to say something about them. They are selfish in the way that humans are selfish yeah. sometimes. They are inappropriate in front of their daughters sometimes. They're so embarrassing sometimes. I They're know, so but that's real. But it's so fully, it comes from this place yeah. of just portraying what these two people are like. And a, a friend of mine also uh, pointed out when, you know, you're an only child, a lot of times your parents just kind of like, it's just like the three well, of you. As, and a, as an you, only child, I felt like that is one of the best portrayals of an only child I've read. And even as an adult, um, you know, being – there's a lot of situations where it's just me and my parents if I'm visiting. And it's definitely this thing of, like, hey, guys, like, you're you're my parents. I am the child. Like, this is not just one big group of peers. Right. 
And yet, I think when you really are an only child, when you're a teenager, you just start getting thrown into these situations where your parents are maybe being a little too open and honest with you. I know. It's like, Bye. it's like I don't actually need honesty in this relationship. <laughs> Like, I, I really, like, Let's I just, remember our boundaries. I say that to my mother sometimes. I'm like, I don't really need this information, Sandra. I use her full name when when we have to have one. I'm like, I don't need this information. It's it's good. Just keep that to yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I how I like about those parents, which is kind of the same thing with that I was saying about Princess Diaries, is the whole idea of. They knew when to just let Ruby go out and, you know, be a teenager and when to, you know, she's in therapy for a reason. You know, that's right. a really part of the book. Yeah. I know I keep talking about therapy. Therapy's great, guys. I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, but it's this idea of there's a line between being a teenager and testing out boundaries and, you know, exploring who you are, making mistakes, and something that happens where, like, well, it's a bit beyond that and this is for a professional to deal with. And right. I... Kind of appreciate that, you know, neither one of those books comes down in some way of, oh, this is always a bad way to be, or this is always an okay way to be. It's right. just, there are the shades of gray there. For and, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually really like the, the way the parents understand that they can't solve everything for Ruby, and mm-hmm. that someone else needs to help her work through her, like, that they have limits, too, in their own abilities. And, like, I... I really like that. I, I like that series a lot. Oh, I love like that it. series. I love Those it. Those are, the, that's maybe my favorite current YA series. I just think it's, it's so smart. It's so savvy. They're written as these, you know, really fluffy, fun books that are, you know, all about. Oh, like, I don't think they're fluffy they're, at all. I well, they're, there's like this level of, they're about, you know, boys and kissing and, you know, sneaking around and making mistakes mm-hmm. and they're also about what it means to be a woman growing up today yeah, and what it means right, right. to be a daughter and a friend She's and so what does it mean smart. to be someone's girlfriend and what is you know what does sex mean to different people and it they're so they're so feminist and they're so smart and yet they have this surface presentation of just being really they go down real easy they're really I like, funny. I actually like that those that that sort of I don't, like that smart, savvy element isn't in those series. It's not in any way not compatible with this sort of fun, lighter. St- like it's right. It, it it's it's life. Like yeah, exactly. And I, I think sometimes I feel like in a lot of um, there there when something is something has to be like serious exploring this yeah. big issue or something is fun and escapist. We are imparting like, lessons. And I feel like those things can be together. Like we're going to have deal with serious and important things but also wrap it around you know your sort of fun funny. I mean the humor in that series is right. great too. And yeah. I, I often because I like humor I, I often find um, some of the more like the sort of we're going to dissect this important issue type reads a little bit overwhelming because I feel like life, even when you're dealing with serious crap, there's funny stuff that happens. Right. And like life can be kind of absurd. And I I like that they aren't mutually exclusive in um, that series in any way. And I really appreciate that. Right. And how things kind of develop gradually, I think is the way it is where it's not just that there's a big 
epiphany per se, but like a series of little ones. And I think uh, Jacqueline Moriarty does that really well. Mm-hmm. In I need her... to read those books. They're funny. They're really good. And the family elements are really unusual, but really well done. Like this one, uh, in one of the books, the kids communicate, uh, the mom and daughter communicate through le- messages on the fridge like they hardly ever see each other because their schedules are so whacked out but like they always but they communicate all the time between these funny things um on the refrigerator and i I think she does a really good job of doing what you were saying where there's like funny things but there's still a lot of important lessons about life to be learned in these books i think so I, um, the one that I was thinking of when we were talking about that was, um, it's an adult novel, but it's Liza Palmer. I can relate anything to a Liza Palmer novel. Ah, there's a certain one of my new talents. In addition to my ability to relate anything to Friday Night Lights (laughs) or Joshua Jackson, I can now relate anything to one of Liza Palmer's books. I don't know if you've read her, Amy. Um, I haven't. She's really wonderful. I think you would like her. I think you would actually. Your writing and Liza's writing, like, there's a lot of similar qualities. I agree. Um, and this sort of like the humor and the observational stuff, like Mm that. Um, and because when I read when I read the first book, I read by actually it wasn't the first one I read by Liza. It was another book by Liza that I read, I was like, this really reminds me of Amy's books. Like, that was actually a thought I had. Oh, wow. it's like, but it's like she writes for adults, so there's different situations and circumstances. But tonally, that balance of, like, humor with, you know, serious stuff as well, um, which is something I really like. I'm always looking for books that have that balance. And it's hard to find. Yeah, like, it's it really, really hard to find, like, because there's stuff that's, like, funny, like, supposed to be comic, and there's stuff that's serious, and it's hard to kind of find that balance, but anyway, um, <laughs> A Field Guide to Burying Your Parents is, um, a book that I re- that's by Liza Palmer that I really recommend, and it's, um, that is where a whole bunch of, a number of siblings come together, and their mother has already died a few years back, and their father, who they've been estranged from for many, many years, is, about ready to die. I mean, he's in, he's in a coma. Um, so it's about the sibling relationship. Mm. And that book is really funny, like, which sounds terrible. Um, but there's just so much absurdity in the situation that they're mm-hmm. dealing with. And they're trying, they haven't really spent much time together in, you know, many years as adults. And they're trying to figure out, like, how do we sort of be because they sort of are forced to kind of be a family again. And um, it's a little bit like if the the siblings on Parenthood didn't all live in Berkeley and didn't all see each other and every the day. Parents were not there. And the parents, but you know that sort of dynamic where they yeah. were like all together when they were young and pretty close, and then they just. But then, in, if you like wrote weird Parenthood fan fiction, and they scattered. <laughs> but, but you know how like the in that show the siblings they're all so different, right. and like right. that's what makes the dynamic sort of interesting and sort of funny, and like the conflicts are kind of. They're interesting to me. Yeah. And that that book has a lot of that, too, where, you know, all these people grew up together, but they're very different people, and it's and it's funny, and it's, I mean, it shouldn't, I guess you're not supposed to laugh when, like, you know, it, they're, the whole thing is set around someone's deathbed, but life is but funny that so way. funny things that happen um, in life, even when there are terrible You know, things, I remember so. my mother got run over by the car, 
Um, oh God! And she was in I, and she was in ICU, and I had to call my cousin and tell her what was going on. I'm like, yeah, my mom got run over by a car in the Costco parking lot. She's in ICU, and the first thing my cousin said was, "And didn't we all think that it would be Sandy who'd be running someone over in the Costco parking lot?" <laughs> oh no! My other relatives were like really horrified, but like that was really funny, yeah. like and it's true, and like I, you know, and there's a lot of those sorts of moments <laughs> in that particular book. <laughs> to me, that's just what life is really it like. Is. Yeah, I, it totally it, is. It never stops and is all funny or is all serious. It's just all a big mix, and it's oftentimes all absurd. Yeah, like, that's, <laughs> absolutely. But I really loved it in Ink when she goes into that first newspaper meeting. And, like, everybody else has already has an article turned in. And she's like, what the heck? <laughs> I was just like, that totally would have been me in that scenario. And it's so funny, but at the same time, when you, like, walk in there and you're, like, the only one, you're just like, shit, you know? Yeah. It's so funny, too. Where you're just, like, so overwhelmed that things become funny. Uh, and I think that is what life is like. Yeah, and I, it's. It was fun writing Kelly's character because she's not, you know, she's not a crazy overachiever. She's not someone who's necessarily on top of everything. So it's, those moments were fun for me because I am, I'm a little, I would say I'm a little more like that. Like I try to be prepared. I try to, you know, work hard, but a lot of times I feel really scattered. And I think when you're like that, it naturally leads to moments where, you think there's a really big possibility that you have screwed up, even if you're like, I know I did it, but I think there's a big possibility I did? Really? Maybe? <laughs> and after, you know, I loved writing Devin and Reese Malcolmless. I love how driven she was. I love how, mm-hmm. you know, her focus was really, you know, she was going to be great at acting. She was going to work hard at school so that it didn't interfere and that she had time Devin for the... Devin was other- on it. Yeah. Devin was on it. And it was really fun to write someone who wasn't. <laughs> um, Especially because at 16, I think, I think for a lot of people, that's much more realistic. Or even yeah. as an adult, a lot of us are just, like, getting by. Yeah. Um, anyway, Amy, I know you have to scoot because it's 2.28 right now. I do and have to scoot. I want to... Um, you know, make sure we're, you know, not making you late for anything. So, um, do you want to, any last thoughts, um, you want to share or, you know, you want to just tell everyone, you know, you need to buy ink on December. When does it come out? The fourth? out next week. The third. Yeah. Hey, I'm pulling one day off. I was going to share some writing advice. All right. Oh. I think is apropos given what you, what we've been talking about with my books, but also with these other books, which is not writing advice that was specifically given to me. But years ago, I was watching the movie Kissing Jessica Stein with the commentary and, uh, Jennifer Westfeld, who's in it and wrote it, said that one of the supporting actors, when they got their role, they were really unhappy with it. And they said basically like, there's nothing for me to do with this. How can I? you know, I'm just asking the questions and giving the reactions to your character that are necessary for your character. But what, you know, who am I? 
And she said it made her realize you have to write every character like you're the one playing them. Because if you're the one playing them, you want their motivation to be there. You want their backstory to be somehow apparent. You want them to at least really subtly have their own wants and needs. And when I heard that, it blew my mind because I realized that was exactly how I wrote supporting characters at the time. Like, it was just for my lead to do what they needed to do. And so when I started realizing even if someone only has two scenes that they need to be a fully developed character, it really changed how I go about bringing anyone in even for, you know, a few, a few sentences. That is so That's smart. Excellent that advice. is amazing. And it really it, shows in your books. That yeah. That it, they have, that they have, these folks have a story. Yeah. Even if they're not the story. And when you think about all the, all the books we were talking about that had parents we thought were great, we didn't really at any point say it's because they were such good, supportive parents. We really were saying, oh, it's because they were such well-rounded people who seemed yeah. like humans. They're people and you I, could believe. But. Yeah, and I think really at the end of the day, that's what's, you know, I'm. Not, it's so funny. I love that people think of me as someone who really wants to tackle family and work and write about family because it was never intentional. It's just that when I write about teenagers, it's just kind of natural that that's a big part of their lives. And so it's kind of exciting now to have people say, I love how you write families because it was kind of a happy accident that I didn't, you know, I didn't set out to do. You, know, but you really I, need to change the story, though, Amy. You say, you know, I really wanted to make it my purpose to write these well-developed families. <laughs> And like, yes, I am the foremost expert on this subject. I know, I know, but no. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really curious. You know, we're we're about you know a little less than a year and a half out, I think, from kissing Jack Callahan. But it's definitely you know lighter on family. So it'll be interesting to see what people think when I'm focusing more on, uh, on guys kissing. and kissing. <laughs> <thing>, yeah. <laughs> appreciate chatting with you because you're just one of our favorites. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being uh, really great supporters. And yes, everyone should go out and buy. They, well, Laura and I both really loved it. And it's it's just a really, uh, and I think it has, you know, it's definitely a novel for teens, but I think there's adults can read it and really see a lot of their own experiences and a lot of just or just a lot of their own current yeah, experiences I, or insecurities. I think there's a or, lot that's relevant yeah. to a lot of audiences. It's, yeah, it's definitely one um, that if you like contemporary fiction, it's one that will definitely work for you. Yes. So, so read Ink is Thicker Than Water when it comes out, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, guys. By I'll Amy Spaulding. The Amy Spaulding. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all-around nerdy badassery at cleareyesfullshelves.com or on Twitter at Full Shelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until next time, Clear Eyes Full Shelves can't lose.
Thanks for listening to the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all-around nerdy badassery at cleareyesfullshelves.com or on Twitter at Full Shelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until next time, Clear Eyes Full Shelves can't lose.